So, you ready to start a podcast? Well, Spotify for Podcasters is the absolute perfect solution. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters. They make it super easy to record and edit right from your computer. And not only that, it lets you distribute your content everywhere and even earn cash. And the best part, it's absolutely free. You literally have no excuse. So I suggest you go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters and start creating today. I've been battling depression since my parents divorced and then I was cutting on myself at 13. I had to hold my cries because, hey, you got to be man of the house. One of the leading men's mental health advocates out here in the space. Now you're actually impacting men's lives at the highest level. It's a blessing to have you. We here rocking with Jay Barnett. Welcome to Harlem this year. Self-harm is an indication that there's internal pain. And most people don't understand self-harm. Your masculinity is both being the lion and the lamb. So if you got mommy issues... That's going to roll over to some wife issues. If a man is not sharing his childhood with you, he's not sharing his whole self with you. I'm not even sure men who are receiving that understand that. You don't have to talk about your healing journey. Your healing will speak for you. True vulnerability in the spaces where we get to show not just what we're doing, but show what we're actually feeling. Welcome to Hardly Initiated. It is your host, Tyshawn Jackson, here with another episode with my co-host, Ryan Ketchins. So the, the best thing about this episode is Tyshawn, he works very hard for y'all, by the way. Yeah. Because he has been wanting to get this guest for a very long time. In fact, we even started to mature the conversation once you actually came across this guest. Man. So this is uh, exciting. Yes, man. Th- this brother here became one of the avatars Facts. <laughs> for the kind of brother we wanted to have on the platform when we was really setting sail for what mm-hmm. we wanted to achieve. And when you watch this episode, you were going to see why. Because when we talk about the track record here, going back, I mean, it, it, you really just have a track record where it seems like you just did everything at the highest level. You play sports at the highest level. Now you're actually impacting men's lives at the highest level. Therapists, ex-NFL, and so, I mean, one of the leading men's mental health advocates out here in the space. It is a blessing to have you. We are here rocking with Jay Barnett. Welcome to Harlem this year. Man, thank you brothers for having me. I'm gonna go ahead and uh, we're gonna correct it. Dr. Jay Barnett. Dr. Like Jay Barnett. Like <laughs> hey, you know what, and when yeah. was that? When was that? So I finished a month ago, man. A month ago, August 20th. Yeah, August 20th, finished my doctorate in uh, healthcare um, administration, so. Yeah, man. So it's exciting. Glad to be done, man. So, Congratulations. Yeah, appreciate Congratulations. Yeah, very, That's huge. Very arduous uh, process, man. But, um, you know, uh, all good things come to an end. And yeah. that was a great thing that I was excited about coming to an end. Um, I started my doctoral journey uh, in 2019, and then I stopped when, uh, you know, COVID happened. And then my career started kind of, you know, um, accelerating in the mental health space yeah, and then picked it back up and then changed doctoral programs. And so it was a, a, a long journey, man. So I've been in school for the past five years and this was after I finished my master's, you know, to become a therapist. And so, man, it's just been a journey, but I'm just glad, man, I don't have no more papers. I don't have no more uh, case analysis. I don't mm-hmm. have no more discussion posts, man. So I'm just excited to, to have my <laughs> brains back, man. So, Facts. Yeah. So, no, I'm excited. This is uh, this is one of the 
first uh, podcast because I, I, you know, I, I just had to take a break. And I think when we were um, speaking early um, in the year about doing it, man, the, the doctoral program was very intense. He was in the trenches. Months. Yeah, we was in the trenches, man. People was crying. People was quitting. So we had about <clears throat> 200 people in our cohort, and we got down wow. to probably like maybe right at 100 that finish. Mm. So, you know, anyone out there that, that that's on the Ph.D. journey, um, doctoral program, like, listen, blessings to you. Because uh, it, it is not for the faint of heart, so uh, there's a reason why it's only two percent of, uh, of of Americans that that hold a doctorate uh, degree. But yeah. man, it's a very very intense program. Uh, it really challenges every area of your life. And then people didn't know that I was doing that and touring, still speaking, hopping on planes, doing paper, pouring into men, and I got to go home and turn in an assignment, you know, by midnight, man. So yeah. it was, but the football player in me was so committed to finishing. And as I tell people, when I start something, I've already finished and I don't start anything that I don't see myself finish. So for me, I knew I was going to finish, but it was just a matter of just enduring the process. That's a bar, man. Wait, yeah. look, first of all, way to run through the finish, run through the line on that one. And um, <laughs> I love the commitment, man. Yeah, it's a blessing because yeah. it, we finally got you here now. And uh, I want to go into a little bit of your story first because a lot of people don't understand that they see you. They're like, man, this brother is handsome. He's well spoken. He's in shape, and they don't know that it's a lot behind yeah. that in what yeah. they see. You actually, they don't know that you. They might not know you're also a two-time suicide survivor, yeah, right? They yeah. don't know all the things that you might have had to yeah. go through mentally yeah, to man. be the brother that you are here today. And I'm also hearing regularly that brothers just in general are committing suicide at even higher rates, yeah. which is crazy because you think mental health is becoming more, you know, known and something that will be more comfortable you know, understanding and we having all of these skills and these podcasts come to play <clears throat> and people still commit suicide, men. So let me, let's start, let me start there. I mean, why, why would you even say that men now are committing suicide at these rates? So uh, the CDC, uh, and I was actually in DC uh, a few weeks ago um, speaking at the Health and Human Services Conference and what they have discovered, you know, through uh, their recent studies that that number uh, has moved from number three to number two to the second leading cause of death amongst young black males. So young black males, and then that number is also increasing amongst young black males as early as age five. And so this case of the five-year-old girl who took her life really sparked, um, you know, a lot of conversation, you know, at the uh, government level, man, in, in Congress, they're talking about, you know, we have to do something more than talking about it. I think one of the challenges are is that a lack of community resources uh, when it comes to black and brown kids. It's a lack of having uh, the clinicians because, you know, right now that mental health has become so ubiquitous, it's still a shortage for black male therapists and black male counselors. And then those who are working in the space are overworked because there's such a huge influx right now because it has become uh, this conversational topic that we are discussing. So more people are going to therapy, but not enough men that are showing up in these spaces. But then, you know, the study shows us that less than 1% out of 41,000 plus psychologists and psychiatrists are black men. 
mm-hmm. and less than two percent are black individuals, you know, altogether. So we really have a challenge where the demand we really don't have a solution for the demand right now at the moment. Mm. So my visibility has really increased um, the enrollment. I know at my alma mater at North Central University, uh, I go back and speak every year to all of the therapists and to all of the MFT students, and they have shared with me how they are getting quite a few black males that are registering uh, to become therapists, and they all come in and say, hey, we saw this guy, Jay Barnett, and we saw he's an alum at your university. And so I, I still work with the dean of students. So it's been a blessing to sort of lead that charge because I think one of the things that I've been able to do so uniquely is be myself in this space. You know, I wasn't putting on a cardigan sweater. You know, I wasn't putting on <laughs> loafers. I wasn't, you know, so I was, I was able to be me, but that was, uh, that was one of the things that I focus on even in my clinical practice and during my internship phase is how could I be more me using the clinical methods and, and, and the clinical, uh, the clinical uh, 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 infrastructure that we use and insert myself into it because if I insert myself into it now I can present this to people and it's not in a very didactic way where it seems teachy but almost conversational mm-hmm. because therapy is still about a relationship and so how are you able to relate to that individual not to get them to open up but to get them to feel comfortable my objective is not to get you to open up my objective is for you to feel comfortable so when you talk about men taking their life, most brothers are not in a space where they feel comfortable enough to begin to open up. And so for those reasons, you know, now you're hearing people says, oh, we got to, you know, it's got a whole space. Well, what I say is it's, 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 or create space, but it's one thing to create space, but it's another thing to hold that space for that brother. Because we're not going to open up Mm. easily it's not what we do for one it's not in our social uh construct on how we were wired as young men we were not you know developed in a way to be expressive and to be verbose when it comes to how we feel about things we were told hey man up yep mm-hmm. nigga you better not hey you know what i mean I so exactly what you mean so you know what i mean so you think about you told this little boy for so long to not cry and now something is hurting this man and he can't cry. And when he cries, it's at suicide. Because when he takes his life, that was his cry. Mm. Mm. You, you follow what I'm saying? So, yeah, exactly. yeah. so this is why we're seeing brothers sitting in their cars, taking their life, sitting in the corners of the room, taking their lives. Uh, and, it's, and, and it's heartbreaking because I think about my story and how my godmother found me under the bed, my second attempt. And it was really my cry for help because the last conversation that I had with my father was that here we go again. And so I had been battling depression since my parents divorced at 13. And then I was cutting on myself at 13. And so I started cutting because self-harm is an indication that there's internal pain. And most people don't understand self-harm, right? Because right. like, why are you cutting on yourself? So what I'm doing is I cause outwardly pain to numb the inward pain. Mm. So it becomes this contrast that I'm cutting myself and I'm saying, you don't feel that. But what I'm trying to say is I don't want to feel this pain that's happening on the inside. So I did that silently because when my parents divorced, I'm the... Uh, only boy, I was put in this position 
to be the overseer and to be the man of the house. And my father has seven brothers and not one of my uncles reached back and said, nephew, are you okay? Mm. How can we look out for you? So here I am trying to be the man to my mom who's hurting, going through a divorce and my parents were pastors. And so she's dealing with the embarrassment of the divorce. I'm also caring for my sisters who's dealing with their pain. But there I was as little Jay and nobody ever thought to ask, is he okay? So I learned to suppress what I felt very early. And by the time we got to Texas, my mom packed us up uh, in a U-Haul from Mississippi and drove to Texas. Now, here's where the change really started. The kid who got in the truck in Mississippi was not the same kid who got out of the truck at 13 in Texas because I now had developed a maladaptive persona, meaning that I was gonna take on a persona that is every man will get this issue. So I became so infatuated with the game of football. Now I come from a, uh, a very um, athletic family. My cousins and uncles played in the league, so it was what we did in that family. But for me, it was no longer about this family legacy or family dynamic. It was about, I'm gonna cause pain. Mm. because I can't, get, I can't hit my dad. I can't hit my dad for what he's caused to my mom and what he's causing my sister because I had to hear the cries every day. And I had to hold my cries because, hey, you gotta be man of the house. So imagine carrying all of this from 13 to about 20 something and I, I, uh, I went undrafted and then I finally got to Green Bay and then you know, I did my thing and then I get sent home and all of a sudden the cutting came back. Because so now- So you was cutting after the NFL I was as well. Cutting, yeah, so that was my first attempt was I, I, I tried to slip my wrist. Wow, my first was, that, was that at 13? No, this was at 20, 22. Got you. 22, 23 when I got sent home. Mm. Wow. And so, and then the second attempt was like seven years later at 30. So it was only 11 years ago, so I'm 41. But I had learned to live with this pain because no one had never asked me how I felt. And I didn't hear how I felt or what do you feel or how are you feeling until I was in therapy. So you imagine being a 30-year-old man and for the first time somebody asks you how you're feeling, not how you're doing, how are you feeling? And what's the, and by the way, before you hold your thought, but what's the difference between the two so people can get contact between them? So to provide context to that, how you're doing is centered around performance. Mm. So I'm doing well. I'm, I'm doing, doing good. Well. Right? I'm doing good. Work is good. The kids are good. Feeling has to do with your emotional state. Mm. What is your process at the moment? What are you currently walking through? What are you currently cogitating about? What are you currently sifting through? And so when somebody asks you how you're feeling, you have to pause. Yeah. So it's not a, how you doing, we have a knee-jerk reaction that, man, everything right, good, right, baby, right, you know right. what I'm saying? It's you know always saying? some yeah. level of good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's yeah. aesthetic over here. Mm -hmm. And so that day, uh, I never forget that day, I was sitting in the office and said, how you feeling today? I was like, man, I said, Shit, I don't even know. He said, what do you feel? I said, man, I don't. So my process in therapy was similar to Antoine Fisher when he was sitting in the room with Denzel 
and Denzel is trying to open up and talk to him, right? And he's telling them, you know, he said, all right, when you're ready, you'll talk. That's how it was for me in therapy. It took three sessions. So, and I, I'm so familiar because I wrote one of my last papers in my master's program on Antoine Fisher. Love that movie. Wow. And one day, how Denzel began to ask him, I, I can't remember if it was his, his, his childhood that Denzel asked him about that opened the door. Yeah. For me, he says, tell me about football. And tears just. And he said, I'll never forget that. He says, what do you feel when you think about football? I said, failure. Um inadequate and so I just feel unseen man and he said man those are very strong words Jake I said man I don't know who I am without that ball man and he said well who were you with it I said everything I always wanted to be because I can put that helmet on man and you can just be anything you know what I'm saying so you you can you know I I I, whenever I played, man, you know, and of course, you know, I'm, I'm going back into my life. But when I played, I would see my dad' faces on my opponents, and man, I would just run through their chest. And and coaches knew what my trigger was. They knew what was driving me: anger, brokenness, because I could not process that my dad left my mom and married another lady with three kids, and he became the father to them that I wanted. And I couldn't get past that. Mm. So football for me was how I cope. Mm. And when I couldn't play no more, I said, how am I gonna get through life? Cause this is how I cope. And I remember my senior year, my coach, I was on the field crying. He said, Barnett, what's wrong? I said, man, coach, this is my last year, dude. Wow. He says, well, Jay, you're going to go to college, man, but you don't play. I said, man, coach, I said, all right, what am I going to do? Because it had become everything to me because it was the only place that I felt seen. And this is what I'm leading to. Most men are taking their lives because they don't feel seen. And when I don't feel seen, I don't feel like I belong. Mm. So... Now, okay, so during even from 13 to you get your shot in the league, I'm assuming that you had to have been performing at a high level yeah, on the football yeah. field. So from the outside, you got the coaches, family, friends, they're all seeing you perform on the outside. Is it just very difficult to see what's behind the veil? Oh, yeah, very difficult. Okay. Because what happened is that your performance is celebrated. And so when your performance is celebrated – it's hard for me to really look underneath the veil and think that there's something going on because you're doing so well outwardly. Mm. And for me, and you think about that, we struggle with that as men that when the applause stop, because the applause and the celebration is also part of how we are validated. Mm. You know what I mean? It's Again, it's how you feel what? Seen. Right. So I was being seen by the coaches <clears throat> and that replaced me not being seen by dad. Good job, Barnett. Ooh, where'd he make that play? You know what I mean? And yeah. so for me, that was where I felt the most seen. So no one never thought, oh, he, you know, he can't be going, that boy playing hard on Friday mm. night. He going hard, you know what I'm saying, night. But I would go home and sit in my room and cry, especially in college. 
I struggled the most in college. And, you know, I played four years. I was uh, a defensive player of the year. Like, I mean, I had a very great college career and was depressed the entire time because it was so lonely because I was doing something that my dad had never done, right, in college. And I was the first out of five kids to go to college. So I'm having these experiences that uh, I can't really speak to no one about, you know, um, in close proximity. And it was very challenging because here I was looking up in the stands, still waiting to see daddy. Mm. And I thought that when I got to college and you, you know, you come, this is your son at college. You know, I have an older brother and older sister and I'm, you know, the oldest out of the next set thinking like, man, this like pop gonna come out here and see me. You know, I'm in college doing what I did in high school. I think yeah. my dad came to see maybe two games. Wow. And I just remember, man, just sitting just sitting in my locker, you know, probably at the most games, just in tears, you know what I mean? And and guys would be like, man, Barney, you had a good game, baby, cheer up, man, you know what I'm saying? But for us as men, when we're not celebrated by our fathers, it doesn't feel the same. See, it's one thing to say, for mama to say, that's Baby, you did a great job. I'm so proud of she you. She always gonna say that. She always gonna say yeah. that. In fact, in some ways, uh, it's to be expected. <clears throat> yeah. But man, it's nothing like when daddy say, that's my boy. <laughs> boy, you did a good job tonight. Boy, you did your thing. And this is why I wanna say that, this is why what Dion is doing at Colorado is so profound. Absolutely. Because not only is he coaching young men, but he's fathering them while coaching and fathering his own sons. So it's changing the narrative of black fathers. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's changing that narrative on a very large platform, which yeah. our counterparts don't like mm -hmm. because it goes against the social messaging that is pushed that black men are not this, black fathers are not that. But you're seeing a man who's not just developing talent, he's developing men. Most coaches, most white coaches are developing talent. Mm. Facts. Dion is developing talent and he's developing men. And that is critical if we're wanting our community to grow when it comes to our males. Jay, we a part of that. We yeah. a part of that. So we did a like a men's retreat a couple yeah. weekends ago, and um, a, you know, and I'm texting. I think that morning I text Ty when I seen Dion walk from the 50 yard line to the end zone in the back, and I text. I send that to Ty. I said, man, I really want this for my son, bro. Ty, I, I would have killed to have that, man. I'm telling you. I'm man, I would have went out there and tore up, man, nigga. I would have went out there. <laughs> I'm telling you, would have scored all the time. So look, what? we go, we go on this retreat. And you know we're having these conversations, and a big part of the retreat uh, after we, you know, we kind of did of us. four of us was watching the Colorado game that night. We watching the Colorado game, and the game is going on. And you know, you know, we there talking about our fathers, the ones that had them, the ones that's missing out on them. And by the way, just for context, all of us on this men's retreat, yes, four very successful black men, all got fathers' issues, all got issues all with yeah. our fathers, fathers, biological fathers, not present in our lives yes. and while we're trying to enjoy this game we can't escape the emotional truth that we're being triggered by watching this man 
coaching bro, it's crazy. his son. Bro, We're I'm triggered sitting, in that bro, moment. I, I'm sitting there, man. I'm glad y'all was talking about this, too, because I was hoping that... I'm, it's like somebody asked me to watch Kirk Franklin's documentary, and I said, I can't. I'm in a good place with my father, and I'd rather stay there hmm. because I don't want to be triggered. <laughs> like, I don't. I get it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> because there was so much that I found out, like, to be at a place, and for me... And to be, I think I was in my 20s, and to get a call from somebody that, hey, I'm your sister. Wow. You know what I'm saying? So it's like to to for me to watch Kirk's story, and I, I you know, I watch, you know, uh, people uh, kind of, you know, share their opinions and kind of go back and forth on social media. I said I can't watch that, and and I watch Dion uh, coach. For the very reason that, man, that's dope. Mm-hmm. That Shiloh and um, his other son, Shador, get to have their dads. It's great that he's coaching, but your dad stand there with you in battle. When I was watching that late night game, you know, people like, oh, it shouldn't have been that close. The fact that Dion was like this, he was cool. Guess what? Shallow state. I mean, Shadur stays cool. Mm-hmm. And people don't realize mm-hmm. how much of an impact that dad has on our lives because mom determines what we remember, dad determines what we believe. <laughs> mm. Because when <clears throat> dad puts his stamp of approval on it, and I would say this today, I'm standing in what my father told me at seven years old. I'll never forget it. He looked at me at seven years old. He got on his knees. He said, you're different. And no matter what you do, you'll never be able to be like anybody else. I'll never forget that. Out of all the stuff that's happened, all the stuff that, that has transpired, I'll never forget that. And he told me, he said, you're going to do something great. I don't know what it is. I don't know how this football thing, you know, because we, we, I mean, it was a, a very tumultuous relationship, you know, for many, many years. But I held on to that outside of everything else, that even when I didn't have the relationship, and I still don't have that relationship with him, we're, you know, cordial, but I don't forget that. And I think that we don't realize as men how much that plays a role in how we show up in our life and in society today. Would you credit emotional neglect or an abandonment from the father figure to be the, in majority cases, the root cause for a lot of the emotional distress that's going oh, yeah. on? With okay. Oh yeah, absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. See, absolutely. See, that, see, that's the thing too. When we don't talk about the daddy issues, we talk about daddy issues with the, with the ladies a lot. We don't talk about the daddy issues that we have as men. Mm-hmm. You actually connected the dots for me was something that I remember Kobe said in one of his interviews. He actually said his father told him when he was very young, after a game that he was not very proud of, his dad grabbed his shoulder and said, listen, whether you have a great game, whether you have a bad game, I'm always gonna love you. And he said at that point, all the weight literally lifted off of his shoulders. And he said that was the most freeing moment he've had in his whole career. And it never made sense to me until you just said that because now it makes sense from that statement his father's validation and love was Come no on. longer relying on performance. performance. Mm. Thank you. It was mm. now. Now we cooking. It was mm. now. It was. It was just because just of being. Just being, and that's like a. 
that that's so huge because a lot of times even when you feel abandoned you might even internalize that like i, I got abandoned because of me yeah it's my fault something I, i'm lacking something absolutely I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy enough absolutely so that's that's interesting that you you really just put it all together for me just now absolutely well because you know going back to how you're doing and versus how you're feeling so in that moment dad took what Kobe was thinking about doing, which is associated with performance and feeling uh, is associated with just being. And I think we have associated masculinity with doing and femininity with being mm -hmm. rather than bringing it as a collective that we're humanized and the humanity of who we are is that we should both get a chance to be. So brothers are tired and brothers, and I, I, I made this post months ago. I said, brothers are not taking their lives because they're tired of living. Brothers are exhausted because they can no longer perform. Mm. And when I no longer can perform because I'm at my wits end, when you look at Twitch, God rest his soul, and you look at other brothers, I look at the level of exhaustion that they were at because that's where I was, I was tired. I was tired of this trauma loop. I was tired of this fighting for dad's approval, wanting him to see what I was doing, wanting him to acknowledge me as his son, wanting him to say that he was proud. And I was just at a point, and I remember going back to that second suicide attempt, the conversation I had when he said, here we go again, it was almost like you're doing this for attention. And it was a trigger. And my mom, literally that night, she says, son, please don't do this. I told him, I said, I'm done. So, and I was, at the time I was, I was staying with my godmother. So I knew I couldn't shoot myself in her house. Mm -hmm. So I knew I had to do something that will not be messy. And I knew that if I only, if I wanted to get out of this quietly while she was in the other room, because I was staying with her at the time, that I had to overdose. And my mom said to me, this is how much pain I was in and how far I was. And again, you know, everybody knows me, you know, I'm, I'm rooted in, in my faith is, 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 you know, I'm through and through walking with God. My mother said, Jay, do you know that you may wake up in hell um, if you do this, if you take your life? I said, mama, I don't care where I wake up as long as I can end this pain. Which is why I wanna layer this uh, for those who are watching that, people are not taking their lives because they're wanting to die. They're wanting to end the pain. And what happens in the result of trying, in the process of trying to end the pain, they end their life, which is the unfortunate. Because that internal pain, because see, pain has a voice. That thing will talk to you. Mm -hmm. It'll tell you, yeah, you doing all that, but he still don't love you. Yeah, you making six figures, but he's not impressed. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and yeah, you, okay, you did everything that nobody else can do, but they still don't accept you because you're an outside child. You, you, you're, you're a bastard. You know what I mean? You're, 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 you're a misfit. That pain has a voice. And so I was so wrapped up in my pain that the voices were literally saying, Tonight is a night. And I was okay with it ending the way that it did. 
So when my godmother comes in the room, in my mind, I thought I was gone. Because when I took all these pills, oxycodone, I mean, I, I combined everything. I was like, man, I was, I was, and my mom, and I told her, <clears throat> I, I was, she was on the phone. We, and to this day, there's this, it, it's beautiful to see, for her to see her son 11 years from now, from that night. Because I couldn't imagine being a, a dad and my son saying, hey, I'm tired and I'm done. And all I just, she said, baby, I'm just begging you, please don't do this. And I just hung up the phone. So that was the last thing they ever heard from me. So when I came, man, I didn't know what the hell. I literally, I was like, nigga, I, I knew that night. I said, nah, this, this is a wrap. And so that thing, man, and that suicide, suicidal ideation is, is, is such a space and I'm, I'm gonna go spiritual for a second because i i think that there is a spiritual component to it as well suicide ideation ideation because okay. what happened is it's the thought right it's the planning it's the man what would it be like if i didn't wake up today what would it be like if i just swerve a little bit to the left and this truck hit me and people are having these thoughts every day Wow. Every day. What would it be like, man, if I just stepped out in front of this train and just ended it? Because people are tired. And men are tired because you guys prov will provide a platform and say how men feel. And you got a whole comment section. You don't feel like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so, so if you're not a strong man, you don't feel heard. And you're like, this is what I'm saying. They won't. And so what God has allowed me to do, man, and with my gifting and with my anointing and, and, and with my surrender is to not only just create space, but create the path for men to see that they can become whole because it's available. And I want brothers to move beyond just achieving because some people are not healing. They're just achieving. Mm -hmm. A lot of mm. us, a lot of us. You know, mm. they're not healing, they're just achieving. And so I'm, I'm using the accruedments of, of my success and I'm buying the car and I got the chick and I got this and I got that. And I'm not doing no work, so I'm just camouflaging. You know what I mean? But if, I, but if somebody really peel back that, those layers and, and really get to the core of that thing and they see, oh, that's where it is. She is insecure. He is insecure. And so what we doing, what we've learned to do today with social media and everything else, we've learned to dress it up. Hmm. We dress it up. We're gonna put on those doses, we're gonna put on our red bottoms, we're gonna put on the hair, the makeup. You got brothers out here now breaking their knees to get, you know what I'm saying, four or five inches. Like, I mean, <laughs> right, right. Like, <laughs> right, that's a real thing. Maybe you can't take yeah. this five nine, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> you know what I'm and, and, I, and, I, and I'm looking at people and I'm just like, how do you get to a place where you're not acceptable of what God has created. And just think about that. I watched a guy, I, I think he's from here, from the aid, $80,000. And I'm like, your confidence is not in you being tall. Oh, I seen that. I, I, I seen what you're talking about, yeah. Brother, you can go from 5'9 to 6'2, but if you don't heal here, I don't care how many inches you get. Yeah. 
Because you'll get to 6'2", and you still won't feel like you're enough. Because you'll get 6'2", and guess what? They'll change the standard again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You 6'2", and you make an 85,000. She's saying, I want a man 6'2", make 150. You, you see what I'm saying? So, so healing brothers will allow you to be settled not in just where you are, but settle in, settle in who you are. And, not, and when I mean settle, I don't mean complacent. I mean that I'm at peace. And where I'm at peace, now I find the building blocks to build the best version of myself. Mm-hmm. And the only way to build the best version of self, you got to break that model down and break that mold. Break down that ego. Break down that image. Break down that, that, that stubbornness, and which brothers are unwilling to do because... To look at myself in the mirror means that I have to address things about myself that I normally don't want to talk about. Mm. So it's nothing for me to buy her a purse because buying her a purse gives me time to continue to keep what? Masking whatever I don't want her to see. Because she's so, oh my God, he got me a bag. We going on a trip. But it's not until you get in a relationship and you say, oh my gosh, Marcus... He's not as confident as I thought he was. Mm. Because what happened if we remove the job? You know, I'm glad brothers are making six figures. I'm glad brothers are doing their thing. But my mission and my, my hopes is that brothers find themselves outside of what they're doing. Because like myself, when I could no longer play football, I was lost. And we as men identify ourselves by what we do. Yeah. And when we can't do it, I mean, you think about it. We was talking earlier about the Al Bundy syndrome. Al was so invested into who he was that he could not see who he could be. And so many brothers are so invested in who they used to be or they're so invested into these social messages that you got to be six feet. You got to be six figures. You got to have six-inch penis or more, longer, whatever the case. All the six, six, six. It's like right. they're so invested to all of these different social messages that they're receiving and I'm saying, well, who do you think you are? You know, because the reality of it is true masculinity is coupled with a level of compassion and a level of grace towards yourself, which allows you to extend it toward others. So you not only learn how to be a giver, but you also learn how to be a receiver, meaning that I can receive, I'm not going to say criticism, you can receive constructive wisdom <laughs> because for some people, criticism is triggering. Right. But it's like you can receive mentorships. I mentor so many young brothers, man, um, that are successful. And the first thing I tell them, I said, brother, find you outside of what you do. Because I can tell you 20 from about 20 to 26, because I played two years in arena league. If you looked at a football player, you would have saw Jay Barnett. But if you look up at Jay Barnett today, football is nowhere in that. Because mm. <laughs> I was associating myself by what I did. And that's a very limited perspective. Yes. And I think when brothers understand that healing allows you to expand your perspective, if I expand my perspective, I expand this, that I am more than what they are saying. And I'm so centered that who I'm becoming is so far away from who I was. So which allows me, like, like now I have football guys. We talk about ball. 
But immediately, <laughs> I'm kind of like, man, I got to get out of here. Like, I'm doing a partnership <laughs> with the Psych Psychiatric Association. You know what I'm saying? I got an event at Carnegie Hall, the first mental. Like, I'm I'm in a different place. Like, I, I, I can't talk about who we were. Mm. You know, and, from, and I can't talk about what I'm doing because I'm blessed. Like, I'm doing some great deals and financial best, but that's not where my joy comes from. My joy comes from me really being able to see myself authentically for who I've grown to be and who I healed to be. That I'm no longer this wounded little boy who's showing up and just trying to sh be this man with a bunch of toys. Hey, look at what I'm playing with. You know? And in, in, in your practice, <laughs> in your practice, are you saying are you saying that either the pursuit of, of achievement or the dwelling on past achievement is more prevalent than even things like substance abuse? Or oh yeah, both yeah. Wow. Okay. Both. Well, because what 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 we will do is we'll anesthetize, and what brothers would do when you don't have the proper coping skills, the next thing is porn addiction, mm. you know, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, or you become abusive towards yourself or abusive toward others and and anyone in your uh, uh, close proximity, and what 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 I'm seeing is that brothers are showing up and they're willing but they're often discouraged when I say this is going to be a journey and I have to tell them like bro I started therapy like when I was giving turn 31 so 41J is completely different and and that's when I you know that's when I coined the phrase healing is a journey and wholeness is the destination meaning that there's no there <laughs> You keep moving on the journey. No finish line. There's no finish line. And oftentimes, brothers are looking wow. for the finish line because it's a part of achievement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm only doing this to what? Get that. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's like, in healing, there's no getting that. It's becoming. And part of that becoming is evolving. You know, like, I, I, you know, I would say to one of my young guys, he hit me up the other day, and, um, and he's, like, trying to be a speaker and stuff, and he was dating this girl. And, you know, he introduced me to her. Hey, Mr. J, man, you know, my mm -hmm. girl. And I didn't say anything. And, you know, when you my age, you know, I've acquired so much wisdom because my mentor is Bishop Jakes, you know, uh, Bishop Randy Borders, uh, you know, Alfred Edmund Jr. Black Enterprise. Like, my mentors are like, <laughs> like, <laughs> these, like, these right, right. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, you know, I'm sitting with some heavy men. And so wisdom tells me, you don't like this girl. Mm. She's a placeholder. And she's a placeholder because you're trying to work through your process to see where you're at. So he calls me, so I saw this. And what you'll learn is that when I see brothers going back and forth on, uh, on uh, Instagram, I, I sometimes laugh and I'm just like, man, let it go, good brother. Because you're not gonna change their mind, and if you did, what would you get? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, you know what I mean. So sometimes, man, you have to be okay, and wisdom will allow you to be okay with. You can have that. <laughs> so, mm. so I sat there, and and we went to lunch, and he ate, and he's sitting there loving, he like he loving on her, rubbing <laughs> on her back, and all of this stuff, and you know, I'm like, okay, and he's sitting. <laughs> <laughs> So he sent me a video of them like, you know, hanging out, having a good time. And I'm looking at the video and I was like, okay, yeah, man, I feel free. 
I said, no, nah, I, I ain't say nothing. So last week, he called, he says, hey, um, Jay, um, yeah, I, you know, we broke up, man. I realized I need to do some more healing, this and that. And I said, I said, okay. I said, you have to allow yourself to walk through the process. And brothers, when you're in the process, it's okay to walk alone. Mm. Say that again. Say that again. It's okay to walk alone in your process. And it doesn't mean that you are not lonely because you're a human being and you have desires. However, if you pull somebody into the process, they will become an innocent bystander, which eventually will be an emotional drive-by. Because if you're in a process, you have not developed. Mm. Because you're in a process. Casualties of war. Yeah. Casualties of war. Yeah. Which is why I say healing is a private matter. <laughs> Everybody's wanting to heal on social media. Baby, before people came to know me, there was 10 years of brutally addressing my daddy wounds, brutally addressing my mother wounds, because my mom had created some wounds. And we don't talk about mother wounds in men because it's not that I can't love her. I can't love her because I haven't let go of what mom said to me and loving her what means I gotta love my mom. Mm. A lot of brothers came to love their wives because they have not resolved the issues with their moms. Damn. So if you got mommy issues, that's gonna roll over to some wife issues. Absolutely, absolutely. Because she is the closest thing that will remind you of her. Mm. Wow. <laughs> I guess that's why you gotta just go get a white woman so you just forget it all together. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's why they do that. <laughs> they just run a whole different race. Run a whole different race. <laughs> right. Just go ahead and switch it up they all like, together. Yeah, man. <laughs> That. <laughs> well, that won't change it, but you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. But, um, and so he said, uh, man, thank you, Mr. J. And, and I told him, I said, you're trying to get to where I'm at, man, overnight. Because, see, he, he was with me. He was in one of my programs, mm. and he watched my, master, you know, uh, my uh, uh, maturation process. And, um, and he saw me evolve and he saw me grow. He saw doors get closed on me because I was talking about mental health in Houston in 2013, 2014. People were literally laughing at me. Wow. Mm. Because they was like, nigga, black folks, that ain't like, nigga, like what? They mental still health. saying that too. Some of Like that's what people, yeah. bro, I did a radio interview. I'd never get this in Houston. This was like 2016. The lady says, yeah, we got Jay Barnett on here. He's talking about mental health and this and that. Their host was like, Bro, come on, man. Really, dude? Mental health, bro? And so I was still in grad school then. And so, um, and I wasn't really, because when, even when I was in school, I wasn't talking about mental health because I was learning. Mm. And also, the learning was also therapy because we had to go to therapy every Friday in grad school. Wow. So it was a very intense program. So I didn't talk much about it because I had not arrived at that place. And I mm. think what people feel now is, in a rush to talk about their healing journey. You don't have to talk about your healing journey. Your healing will speak for you. Mm. Because a wounded soul will always be talking. You can always tell people who are unhealed because the, your, your, your soul won't shut up. Mm -hmm. 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like you can tell people who have a soul of ease and they, and and there's a, a, a level of ease that rests on them. You can feel it. You can feel it. It's in their aura. It's it's in their energy. Calms you. It calms you. Like I tell people, when I walk in a room, healing walks in a room. And I believe that. Because there's a level of healing that I've done to be at a place to find rest. Whether it's a yes, whether it's a no, whether it's good, whether it's bad. Because I spent so many days, man, alone and doing therapy, allowing God to break me. There was times where I would literally have a conversation with God and I said, put me back on the wheel. Because when you're on that potter's wheel, what he's doing, he's shaping you. We're so in a hurry to get off the wheel because we want to show everybody what, we, what, what the shape is. And sometimes you got to, man, that ain't right. Man, I still need to, I need to look at this. Boom, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm cool in this area, but I'm still popping off. Like I'm still angry at people. What is that anger attached to? That anger attached to because I haven't really forgiven this person. And when, some, when, when such and such says something to me, it brings it back up. Bro, I'm rarely triggered today. Mm. My father, love him to the moon and back. I've gotten to a place and my healing has allowed me to embrace who he is. And I've let go of who I wanted him to be as a father. Because here's what my healing showed me, Ryan. How could he be a father when he was still longing to be a son? Mm. from his own dad so he couldn't be what he didn't have and when I saw that I had a level of grace and compassion and said God he didn't have a clue Hmm. and we're often and, and women are often expecting men to be able to give from a place that they don't even have they haven't even been developed. They don't even have the language. Mm. You think about it, how many brothers are really having conversations like this? Just be honest. Yeah. Not many. Not many. And I'm not talking about high-level conversations. I'm talking about in-depth conversations where you said, let me slide this false image and let me look at for what it is. Matter of fact, let me come up 30,000 feet and look at this thing. And let me look at what's connected to the behavior and what's the root of the behavior. Because when people come in therapy, I don't care what the behavior is. I want to know what is the root. Because once I understand the root cause, I now can have an understanding of the behavior. I never forget. I was seeing this couple. Guy was cheating. And and, um, the lady, he's cheating and he's doing this. I'm taking my notes. I said, okay. And he's got this wrong with him. He's got that wrong with him. I'm so okay. I said, when did you guys stop communicating? It's quiet. Well, I just feel like he, I said, no, no, no. When did you guys stop communicating? I'm here because he was cheating. I said, cheating is a symptom. It's a symptom. Mm. When we're in school, cheating, infidelity is a symptom. Mm. Right? It's not an issue. Now, it can be an issue within the relationship, but it's not the core issue of the dynamic. Got it. Right? So meaning that he or she is cheating because of something in this dynamic of your relationship. And I'm not, and it's not excusing it, but justifying is I'm trying to understand what is provoking it. 
So the brother comes out and he says, well, man, shoot, before we got married, she, she was giving it to me however I want to, bro. He like, she don't do nothing now, man. So he felt he had to perform to get sex with his wife. And the interesting dynamic was that they both were looking for something, but the fact that they were not communicating, they could not understand how to get it. She wanted an emotional connection. He wanted physical interaction. Neither was wrong, but the cheating became an issue because in her mind, I'm not giving it to you doesn't mean you should go outside of our union and get it. But in his mind, what you expect for me to do? So when I brought this thing and, and opened it up and lifted it up from the table, I wanted them both to understand that your lack of communication is why you're both are here. How did you communicate that you wanted something deeper from your husband? And he didn't see that if he gave her what she wanted, which was a deep, deeper level of connection, he would get sex. Mm. And he was thinking her not giving sex was her rejecting him. Mm. So the root was what? Lack of communication. Right. And so when, you, when I broke it down like that, they both were sitting there with tears because they had gone so long without talking to each other. And a lot of couples do that where they just kind of get in this, uh, this routine where it's just become business as usual. They're roommates. And roommates. And we place so much, we place these expectations on each other that we've been together 10 years, Ty. You, you should read my mind. You should know what I want. How? How can you not know that I don't want sauce on my spaghetti? <laughs> well, you liked it when you were 20, but I'm 35 now. I don't like sauce no more. It gives me gas. Mm. And so you will be surprised of the people who don't have communication in their relationship and you see it even in friendship and we place these expectations on each other and then when we fail each other we're ready to crucify each, each other and I'm simply saying not that this issue was simple but you guys stop talking yeah and when you stop talking you stop connecting when you stop connecting there's no chemistry because you need connection for chemistry and even whether, even if it's just momentarily, right? So it was like, shoot, man, I feel some chemistry right now. There was some, at some point, you guys connected, whether it was the conversation, whether y'all sitting there vibing out, you having some food. So I layered it in that way, man, so they can have an understanding. But to the brothers, it was that, man, I said, bro, yes, it's a need of yours, but that's also a responsibility that you have. Again, I understand you can give it, but in order to receive it, there has to be an open pathway. And most of us don't have open pathway because it becomes one dimensional. Well, I'm, I'm paying the light bills and you eating good and this and that, so you should be able to lay down and, and bust it wide open for me like you, you. But yeah, but have you thought about this other pathway that says, I'm willing to do that, but I need you to show me more of you. And that's why a lot of brothers don't really experience real love because we're one dimensional and we will give, but we don't open. 
And I often ask ladies, I say, yeah, I, you got him, but do you have his heart? Because, see, brothers, we, we, we smart. <laughs> and, and I'll say this, you know, ladies that, because a lot of, I, I've never, we was at the bar and this lady said, I don't think men are smart. I said, we're very intuitive. <laughs> I said, a dude would give you pipe before he give you this heart. Mm. That's usually what he give you first. And that's what, right. and that's what he give you first. And you're fighting for the heart while taking, you the know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> while, t- <laughs> while taking that, not understanding that to get what you need, because the woman needs that emotional connection. Mm. She needs that. She, she she's it is the fuel to her being. Well, how, how does a woman know if she has a man's heart? How would you be able to determine that? Because I think it's some confusion because the pipe might feel like a heart. Yeah. Because yeah. it's in yeah, your heart. That's right. Yeah. right. <laughs> <laughs> well, y'all, wow. <laughs> Hardly initiated. Right. <laughs> but how, how, how would she know? So the way that you know that you have a man's heart is how he expresses himself to you. And I'm not talking about on a very surface level. I'm talking about he's able to express some of his deepest fears. He's able to express some of the things that he normally are not um, open to talk about. And if a man is not sharing his childhood with you, he's not sharing his whole self with you. Mm. Because our childhood is the nexus to understanding who we are in our adulthood. So I want y'all to catch that. Your childhood is a nexus to understanding adulthood, meaning that you have to get in that portal, that pathway to understand who he is today and who he wants to become tomorrow. And if you don't know anything, and he hasn't shared anything about his childhood, you don't really know who he is. Mm. Because once I understand what shaped you, I now understand your functions, which gives me knowledge. The Bible even tells men to deal with your wife according to the knowledge of her. How well do you know her? If you have no knowledge of me, you don't know me. And the only way to gain knowledge of me is I open myself to share my stories about what shaped me. Why do I think the way that I do? Why do I act the way I do? And also understanding the complexities that you see this, but man, I'm layered. And as you learn that man and you see the many layers of him and you're still able to say, babe, I still love you and all of that. That's when you know you have a man heart. Mm. And you'll be surprised of women who are with men that they don't know, even in marriage, because who you got married to is not who you live with. And then there's a difference between a man in your head and the man that's in your bed. Oh, well, you just can't just speed past that one. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Oh, wait, it's a difference between the man that you married and the man that you're living with if you don't really know him. And then there's a difference between the man in your head because you have in your head the man that this is Tyrone. Oh, yeah. So it's the man in your head versus the man that's in your bed. Mm. Because who is in your bed is the reality of who he is. And who is in your head is the picture. It's a story. It's mm. the fantasy. Right? It's the nursery rhyme. Right? You know, that I'm living happily ever after. But are you? And so I think to understand a man's heart 
is also to understand parts of him that is not available to everyone. Yeah. Because I can tell you right now, I'm transparent with everybody, but I'm selective vulnerable, selectively with my vulnerability. Because I also understand who I'm vulnerable with has the greatest power to damage me. Right. So in knowing that, I am careful about where I open. And when you're careful about where you open, you're careful about where you pour, where you insert your energy, where you insert your time. And for me, I've learned to cherish my heart because women don't think brothers' hearts are fragile. <laughs> when we go through heartbreaks, man, it's hard to recover. I'm telling you. It's yes. hard to recover. And since no one has taught us how to recover properly, we usually heal or we usually recover very destructively. Callous we got to fuck some we, shit we, up first. We callous, we, we numb that heart. Yeah. And never, we just don't return back to it. Rampage out. Man, yeah. man, bro, I'm fitting bro, I'm smashing everything. Everything, bro. everything. Right. I, ain't, bro, I ain't give my heart to none of these yep. chicks, bro. No, bro. The way Keisha did me, man. Hell no, man. Never bro, again. Last they time, not heal. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So it's like <laughs> that's how that's how that's how we moving. We got to change. He <laughs> cracking up in time. That's how it's crazy. I mean, that's my yeah. because we've all yeah. we've all done it. I mean, it's, it's it feels it's it's easier. Yes, for us to do yeah. than to go into digging into yeah. that heart and and, and and to dig into that heart and to ask yourself why did this hurt and. And until men are ready to ask themselves, why does this hurt? They'll keep hurting. Mm. Because even the doctor asks you, where does it hurt? And until you identify, until you acknowledge where the pain is, he can't help you. Because he can't be giving you Tylenol for something that really needs some further examination. And that's why it's important, man, for brothers to heal so when somebody, you know, I remember um, dating this girl and um, she had said something to me, man, and I sat on it, bro. I sat on it because I had went through a very tumultuous breakup one time, man, and just, I mean, it just ripped me to shreds, bro. So I, I became very fearful to say how I felt to a woman because when I said how I felt to this woman, she basically flipped it and like, he's this and he's that. I'm like... That's, that's not what that was. Mm. It was almost as if, and, and this is another thing, ladies, we are afraid to truly be honest because we know that comes with a penalty. Absolutely. It comes with a penalty to challenge you when you hurt us. And when we say something, it's as if, how dare you tell me that I hurt your feelings? Again, and it goes back to this social construct that you should be able to take this. Well, I'm a human too. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, oh, damn, don't be acting like no hoe. Like, oh, that, that hurts your feelings. Yeah. You said something. And, that, and again, that's not an indictment on my masculinity or my manhood. I'm just saying in this, when you said that, man, that bothered me. And, bro, that thing sat with me for, like, days. And I just finally came out. And because I got to a point where, I, and I said to her, I said, listen, I'm going to say this with much tact and much respect. And I'm okay with being a bad guy because the other side of that coin is that a woman who has not been challenged by a man in a way when she has wronged him will become very defensive and internalize it. And now what you're sharing about what hurts your feeling now becomes 
uh, about her because her feelings are hurt about what you share. And so <laughs> brothers just get to the point where like, all right, and you don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so for me, I was just like, listen, man, this this bothered me. And it's and and then I provided further context. This bothered me because of XYZ. And she just sat there. And I told her, I said, listen, man, I'm okay with being the bad guy. And what I want to encourage brothers is, you know, we have to stop being afraid to truly be honest with women. And that takes that takes a level of growth. That takes a level of uh, evolution, and it takes a great deal of courage. Because I'm at a place in my life, I can't lie to Jay. If it's bothering me, it's bothering me. And what women have to realize that if you have a real man and he tells you how he's feel, what I'm saying about what you've done or what you said, that doesn't mean I'm taking my love from you. Because that's often the challenge. Am I not this person? No, I'm just saying in this moment, this bothered me. That doesn't mean that you're not the apple of my eye and all those different things. Because when you start to do those things, what it does, it invalidates my feeling as if my feelings are not worth anything and your feelings are everything. So what happened is I met with criticism while you have to be met with compassion. Mm. (laughs) So I get critique for sharing, but you get, okay. Because we see it with women. Mm -hmm. All you gotta do is go back to the school system. When little Tara, Got in trouble. Are you okay? Mm-hmm. You got in trouble. What you do, Ryan? What? What? So you were met with criticism and immediately you were punished and sent to the office. Go to the office. While Tara was pulled in the corner and consoled. So this is programmed men that when I'm in trouble or I'm hurting or feeling something, I'm preparing. I'm preparing for the war. Mm. So I armor up. So when she says, you always defend, I'm defensive because as a little boy, I was never embraced when I had an issue because while I'm acting out in class, I'm kicked out and sent to the principal office, but no one ever asked, did you eat last night? Mm. You, you see how all those things are connected? Absolutely. Again, it's, you're focused on his behavior, but not understanding like, could Ryan just have missed food or, or something happened? So we have now grown into men who are afraid to really share. And now look at this interesting dynamic, right? The world was saying, we want to hear from men. We want to hear from how y'all feel. <laughs> brothers are talking now. Now they're saying brothers are talking too much. Y'all right. too it's much sassy. Right. It's, it's sassy. sassy. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So listen, this is why, bro, I, I love what y'all do because I live vicariously through y'all. I'm like, yeah, y'all go in, brother. Y'all go back and forth because I can't do it. You know what I mean? I can't do it. Because it's like, you have to prepare yourself for the vitriol because it's like, are you serious? You just asked me how I feel. And then it gets, well, that goes both ways. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Let's set in this right here. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about it going both ways. I'm saying in this moment as a man, as a black man that is strong, that is masculine. And I say this often that, brothers, your masculinity is both being the lion and the lamb. And when you understand that duality is that, man, I'm, but also, man, I'm, man, that, that, that bothered me. That hit me in my heart right there, brother. And I'm, and, 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 and I'm not avoiding that to show, and then when I'm showing hurt, it's like, mm, mm. Judgment. Judgment. So this is why brothers are like, like, I've, I've, 
I had so many brothers. I've got one clip that y'all y'all had this dude sit to me. He was like, "Bro, this is why I don't say nothing, bro, because they don't, you know." And so what I want I want to free brothers from that because I'm in a space, man, where I'm so free. And again, I don't have like I've I've and I've had and it and it took me a long time to get back there because after I went through that breakup, I just stopped talking because she flipped that thing on me, man, so 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 bad, and. I'm she on Instagram going off and I'm watching women agreeing with her. I'm like, that's not that's not what happened. And so I felt like my voice was taken. Yeah. So when I got in other relationships, man, I was just completely avoiding and deflected to have the hard conversations. Because when you're able to have the hard conversation, it allows you to have the uh, uh, the freedom to have the expressions of your heart. Because hard conversations are tough. Oh, because yeah. you got to talk about things that people are like, yeah, I don't know. No. If I say this bothered me, let's park there. Let's not gloss over this and move to the next thing. And you say, because I've been in situations where it's like, I said, I'm sorry. So let's move on. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. Let, let me ask you this right here, Jay. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about this because I know there's a brother it's so hard in, in our society for us to not feel like men when we're not producing. So I know there's a brother right now that knows whatever his level of production is, he's not meeting that and he's not feeling adequate. And I don't know if it's realistic for any of us to, to feel like our best selves if we not performing as men. To, who, to, to the people around and to, you know, to however the world measures us, our jobs, our women, everybody, right? So. How does a man realistically, if he's in that space of not performing at his highest level and he's feeling that feeling of, of inadequacy oh, that comes good. with that, right? That's good. That's good. What does he do in that space? How does he navigate that? Is it getting to, does he need to change what his standard of performance is? Is it, is it a chance that it's too high? Is it that he needs to, you know, find some other remedy to, to, to make himself whole? What is that? I love what you started off saying, um, a man that's not producing. So we're going to replace performance with producing. Yeah. The Bible says, you know, a tree by the fruit it bear. And so if you're wanting to understand or better understand what type of fruit that you want to produce, mm -hmm. you have to get clarity on the tree. And you have to research the roots. What are you connected to? And so what I would say to those brothers, rather than focusing on performing, focus on producing. Mm. What is gonna come out of you? What is gonna come from you? And what is coming through you? And so if you're focusing on producing, it no longer becomes about performing, right? It becomes about what are you aligned with? Many brothers are trying to perform according to social standards and it's killing them because you're tired. You're working jobs that you don't want to work. You're doing things that you're not really aligned with. You're doing things that is not really purposeful because you're trying to meet a standard. And I'm not talking about a specific number like I didn't make six figures, bro, until I was 38, 39. I'm 41. Yeah. Like, I've always made money, but I'm talking about really making money until my late 30s. And, and you know, for the brothers, uh, uh, because, and I'll say this, 
I also didn't feel that I was very valuable until I was able, until I accomplished something. And yeah. I think a lot of men struggle with that because they feel like, well, I haven't accomplished anything. Yep. So I don't know if I have any value because they've said that my value is attached to what I do. And right now I'm not doing much. But I want to tell that brother that is watching this that your value is not in what you do. Your value is in who you are. Because when you take who you are into what you want to do, now you begin to producing. Because there's nothing worse than being successful in the wrong industry mm-hmm. or in the wrong place. Because you're unhappy. You're making money, but you're not satisfied. Because it's something else. You're driving a car, but you're not fulfilled. There's a lot of people that are doing things that are not fulfilled. So what I would tell that brother, look to be fulfilled. Man, the, the one thing, my, my godmother's white, by the way, that I was staying with. She said to me one day, <laughs> Miss Cindy, I love her to the moon and back. Miss Cindy says, Jay, I'm watching your journey. <laughs> and she said, I know you're frustrated because I'm like, you know, uh, Miss Cindy believed in me. I was in a gym in Houston. I had a, 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 a training business. I trained pro athletes, kids. I was, and my business was booming. But I was speaking and working on the side. Miss Sydney was never able to have kids. Wow. And she said, I, I see something in you. And I had a house that I was renting with the guy, a coach. We was good friends. And it was like a brand new house. And I was training these people. They was wealthy people. And so they were like, man, we, you know, we want you to take over um, the lease. And eventually buy it. I said, okay. So I was doing that. And Miss Sydney said one day, she says, I want you to move in at my place. I said, what? She said, I want you to cut down your overhead and I want you to really pursue this gift you have. And so she had a nice size house. I moved in with her and I struggled with it. I prayed about it and I felt the ease in my spirit. And I moved in with her, man. And it was how I got through my master's program. Because wow. there was no way I could pay for a master's program and pay a mortgage. No way. Not at 32, 33. Mm-hmm. Ain't no way in hell. <laughs> and she said to me, and, and on one end, I was grateful. But on the one end, I kind of felt a bit um, humiliated. Not that she had did anything, but it's like, you 33-year-old living it. with this white lady. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you feel like you're moving backwards a little I bit. I feel like I'm moving backwards. And she sat down one night and she says, Jay, you're investing into your next. See it that way. She says, like this lady was so prophetic. She told me, she says, she looked at me. She had water in her eyes. She says, I had a dream about you. She says, you want to be like Dr. King. And I'm like, man, Miss Sydney, come on, man. She said, I'm <laughs> uh, She says, Jay, I'm serious. She says, and you're going to experience so much success going into your 40s. She says, just stay the course, Jay. Promise me you'll stay the course. And she says, don't feel bad for this moment because it's not permanent. And most men give up because they feel that what they're feeling is permanent. Mm. And when you feel that it's permanent, you will kill your future because in your present feeling, it is the end all be all. Yeah. 
So in the moment you feel like I'm not producing, I'm not performing, I'm not valued. But if you sit in that thing long enough and you discover who you really are and you match that to where you are aligned to what you are love, where, where you love and and realize that, man, I'm not on a system that is operated and constructed by opinions because these standards are opinions. There are some brothers I know that make $75,000 that they are happy and they're okay with it. And that's perfectly okay. And there are some brothers who are like, bro, I made 130 this year, man, I'm trying to make 180 this year. And that is great. But you have to find who you are to determine who you want to become. And what I did in this space, I never, bro, when I started speaking and I was talking about mental health and sharing my story, people was trying to compare me to Eric Thomas. I'm like, bro, I'm not Eric Thomas. Mm. Eric Thomas is Eric Thomas. I'm not uh, uh, Inky Johnson. I'm not any of these other speakers because they was just trying to, I said, I'm Jay Barnett, man. Because if I compare myself to E.T., and if I'm not on E.T. level, I now feel like I'm not producing. Exactly. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's why you have to be careful by taking in social messages. Yeah. And subscribing to things that are not applicable to who mm-hmm. you want to become. Which will hap- which is what happens, social messages and social media. So yep. exactly. Because that yeah, happens when we scrolling, we're looking at all these accomplishments, yeah. we comparing ourselves to all these brothers that <clears throat> are probably in the top percents of whatever the case is. Yeah. When you really don't know what they got going on anyway. Facts. From- but then again, their job yeah. provides that. If you are a trauma surgery. Right. Your potential earning is somewhere between 250 to like 430. So my degree is in uh, my my doctor is in healthcare. So all things healthcare, like, you know, we had to study the numbers. And if you decided, man, I want to go to school and I want to do gaming and I want to do engineer, your top earnings probably like 175. What's wrong with that? Our issue is what you just said is you're focusing on what the doctor's doing rather than focus on what you set out to do. Bro, I, I got in an argument with a dude, man, who was a close friend of mine at the time. And he was sitting there like, man, you need to be speaking like this. You need to be doing this like that. I said, bro, that's not me. And this is like 2013, 2014. Like, I mean, when E.T. was killing it. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, man, you need to get in this. You need to get in this class, man. E.T. got this thing. And I'm like, bro, I love E.T. Like, I listen and I rock with his message. But I'm like, bro, that's not me. My story is different. Like, God strategically constructed this space out for me to be in this mental health. Because I sat in my office and I heard God's voice says, something is coming and you're going to be needed. And something hit in 2020. And this is why, as a man, I would encourage you. I'm not trying to send y'all to church, but brother, get a foundation in your spiritual walk, in your spiritual life. Because that was sent to you when everything else is noisy. And what happened is, brothers are listening to so much noise. You listen to this podcast. This podcast says you got to do this if you want a bad chick. This podcast says you need to drive it. And it's just like, bro, I, I... I am so careful about what goes into my ears because if you're not careful, man, a, a, a word, a podcast, a book, something will infiltrate your system 
and you would now have been indoctrinated by someone else's belief system and by somebody else's messages mm. that is not even meant for your life. Yeah. And it was like, people was like, oh, you're not going to make money in mental health. Bro, I heard so much. And I was just like, and, and the thing about me, my football mindset, like, because, you know, when I was in camp, when you round grown niggas just trying to get, you know, trying to get make a team, like, I don't give a, like, I was, I was always focused on what did God place in you, Jay? When I started in therapy, I stopped focusing on outside world because I was so focused on healing. And I'm like, what did God put in you? And I knew that at nine years old, I had a microphone in my hand and my dad had me speaking in church, had me working with young people. So I knew I had a gift. I had a boldness to me to speak. And then when I got in school, I was able to take faith and psychology and theology and connect all those things. And I said, this is it. Mm. And I stuck with it. And I, and I remember people saying, oh, you know, therapists make about, I remember dudes sending me, you know, therapists make about six, $8,000 a year. And I'm not a person. I don't talk about earn. I don't talk about, but I've doubled that. And, and, and anybody work with me to know that if I want to do a number, I'll hit a number. Mm-hmm. Because I've always been a smart person when it comes to understanding marketing and understanding what is in me. Not what's in you. I'm not going to try to do what y'all do. Y'all podcast is successful. Like I, I wouldn't try to do it. And I think so many brothers are confused because they're trying to do something that they were not created to do. That's a fact. And so I see you pull up in the Benzo. I'm like, dang, boy in the Benzo. Man, I drove a, a Chevrolet Trailblazer for years. For years. And went tripping. Well, go on dates, pull up in the Trailblazer. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, I was, I was at peace. But what it did was I was being built and developed in obscurity. So when I was able to walk on a lot and get whatever I want, it didn't shift anything in me. Mm. Jay, we did that. We actually, we experienced that firsthand. We went out to last year, we went out to ClickFunnels. We seen all the homies driving, the Bentleys, the Lambos, all of a sudden. We're doing the podcast growing now. All of a sudden we seen that. We said, you know what? Let's do what they doing for six months. We did what they was doing. And at during that time, the podcast was actually suffering. The growth, the identity, these different things. And we came to that realization, right? Wow. And once we came to that realization, we said, look, we're trying to be what everybody else is being for the wrong reasons. We had a conversation, multiple conversations. We t- toyed about this for two, maybe three weeks. And we made a decision. We said, look, it's not about the money. It's about what we want to do. It's about what fits us as men and the mission that we want. And when we decided to go it 10 toes down, grew up. It, it grew. Insane. And it's like, it's really just staying in your own lane. Yes. Like walking your own walk and being absolutely confident and having absolute faith that this is for you regardless of what people around you are yeah. experiencing. And, you know, that could, that can seem so hard to do because I like those three things. Like that, that Trinity was crazy, right? <clears throat> you said you've, learn how to put together psychology, faith, and theology. And I think that's so dope because I think it is the faith aspect that allows you to keep going straight regardless regardless on what's happening around you, regardless on if them steps start looking kind of crazy in front of you. The faith faith is what keeps, makes your lane 
uh, allows you to stay within that. And, and I think that's very hard to do for, for brothers that might not have that <clears throat> confidence behind them yeah. in what they're doing. They may not have a, a, a proven track record of have, you know, trusting themselves, you know, making those decisions. And on top of that, a support system and a community around them yeah. to reinforce yeah. their minds. Let's talk about and that. That's exactly what yeah. I want to, uh, you know, I, I want to go into because I, I think even myself, I, I could do a better job at my community because my community, I got some good brothers around me, but it's always by by chance when we kind of connect. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's so funny. That's why we did the men's retreat intentionally because mm-hmm. we got up. And fellas, y'all guilty of this. You know it. You get with your boys. You have a great conversation. You're like, man, we need to do this again, <laughs> right, man. Right, That's right. the first thing everybody yeah, said. Man, right. we, we got to do this. Yeah. But but we, but we don't really plan. No, no. We're we not like No women. intention. No, no intention. Women will do it intentionally, yeah. regularly. Mm. They're good t- at that. Bro, let me tell you something. I spoke at Woman Evolve for Sarah Jakes. And um, <laughs> Sarah Jakes is a beast. To um, I spoke at her Girl Evolve. Um, um, section uh, of a conference to watch 40,000 women 40,000 women at Globe Life Stadium I was there watch 40,000 women 40,000 women come together for Woman Evolve Wow! and you think about the cultivation right that she's done bringing women together. We ain't seen nothing like that, you know, and I told Bishop, like, we ain't seen nothing like that since manpower. Mm-hmm. But I don't think manpower ever got to like 40,000. That's incredible. A few, few thousand. But to your point is we don't do a good enough job cultivating relationships because in some ways we are underdeveloped in cultivating relationships because to foster healthy relationship, you first have to be a healthy individual. Mm. And most men are not competent and emotionally stable to open up, to connect to a brother, to keep the relationship going so it becomes very surface. Mm. We'll watch the game, we'll talk about some women, but we won't talk about some heart issues. Going back to That's the so seven true. brothers that I have on the call every Monday, it's beyond just, man, y'all see Colorado? It's like, bro, man, me and the wife, we, we going through a season right now, man. Y'all pray for us, bro. I'm trying to hold on. That's what we need. True vulnerability in the spaces where we get to show not just what we're doing, but show what we're actually feeling. So I'm gonna share something. Um, and this is, I've never shared this publicly. I shared it in the Just Here Bro space and it's all men, so you know, no, no women would, uh, would, would, would be privy to this information. Back in March, I was in a very, what, February, uh, one of my best friend's sons died. And another friend, best friend's son died. So two of my close, close friends, sons died, both under the age of 40. And the one, the second one, I eulogized his son. And his son had been like close. 
And for him to call and says, man, Jay, I want you to have the last words over my boy. Bro, that thing just broke me because his son played in my charity basketball games. His son, you know, was like um, this young man that I was help rearing. And after eulogizing his son, man, and how his son died and how my other friend's son died, you know, by way of suicide, it was triggering for me. And it was so triggering for me that I began to have my own thoughts of like, dang, because it was survivor's remorse for me. And so I'm at this space and I'm just like, man, dude, I'm struggling. I'm talking about the voices are getting louder every day. And I hadn't had this type of experience since like 10 years ago where, but I knew that what I was in was all connected to this spiritual interaction because I was fine before those things happened. So I get on the call and I tell the brothers, man, I'm, I've been hearing voices, dog. And I said, man, and this is what they're saying. And when I said that and I, and I continued to share about where I was and, and they was just like, because at the time, like I just did Sherry Shepherd show. I just, you know, I, cause it's the beginning of the year. So, you know, I was on television live at the beginning of the year and talking about new year, new you, all that stuff. And on the outside, you would think like, man, Jay on a roll. But man, I was struggling because me and Greg talk every day. And then one day he called, they found Cardin. I was like, huh? My son, he gone. I was like, and so that, and to be there for him, as I'm still there for my other boy, who is my close friend, who we, you know, we work out every day. So I'm holding two people who are mm -hmm. grieving. And now I'm having to deal with my own process of where I was. And so when I shared that on the call, my other homeboy said, I've been having these same thoughts, bro. And you can just feel the weight just falling off because it was that me too moment. And we began to pray and we began to um, talk. And, you know, one of the brothers, man, he went up in prayer, man, he went up. And, man, you can just feel that thing breaking. And that's what community is about. That in that moment, I didn't feel, you know, and I shared some stuff deeply. I mean, it was like I was very, like very vivid with what I was sharing because I was I was at a point where I'm like I was at a point where I took my gun and put it in the car mm. because the voices were so loud and it was getting louder every day. And I was just kind of like, man, dude, like what's going on? Because I'm like, I, like I'm not in no bad place. Mm. But I just eulogized his son. And if anybody don't think the transfer of, of spirits and all that stuff is real, like that stuff is real. And that weight, and so man, I was just in such a bad place, but when I got off that call, man, there was a weight that lifted because I had six brothers who lifted me up in prayer and said, Jay, we got you. And that day I was in the gym because I was trying to work it out. Mm -hmm because I had missed the other call. I was just like, man, I can't. 
And this day I said, man, I got to get on this call, man. Because the brothers, they kept texting me again. Hey, where you at? What's going on? And we don't have that. And community is really about not someone just holding the mirror, but somebody holding your hand. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, I hear Because yeah. wow. you, you really, I mean, that's just a prime example of what you said. There's no finish line. Is because I, you know what? I almost got caught. I'm looking at you right now. I'm like, man, he done made it. But it's it's a continuing the development a process, and uh, I'm just blessed for you to even share that with us because it really inspires me and motivates me to really start to set myself up with this preventative circle along with the faith, right? Along with what what we say producing, not performing because all of those things put together and maintaining those things is what's going to bring you back in line when things kind of get out of focus or, or, or you yeah. get uncentered. That's, um, that's amazing, man. You know, I'll, I'll notice too yeah. with some brothers that when I try to connect on that level, you can almost feel some levels of discomfort. Oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> like you, if you try to really take it beyond sports, if you take it beyond the surface, like you'll notice, Physically in their bodies, in their body language, it's discomfort. They get defensive. It's like like you want to know too much. Like like yeah. what's wrong with you? Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Or try to be short. Yeah, or change the subject. Yeah. It's some reaction to it. Oh yeah. Where they want to escape that moment. Yeah. And yeah. like you gotta, I, I think that's important too in that community. How do you handle that? Because I mean, if if I'm creating a community, and my first thought is, I wouldn't really want that person a part of the community, mm. because that doesn't really foster the environment we need. But at the same time, that brother needs help. Yeah. Right? Well, you know, what, 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 what you could do in that case, like when these brothers come to the, the Just Here Bro Tour, bro, I see it, man. You know, we, we average anywhere from like 300 to 500 men. Wow. And you'll see brothers, man. Like we had this one dude, bro, this dude, he was, he started off kind of disruptive in the space, but he was an army vet, and you could tell he had PTSD. Like he was very disruptive. Like during the con- during yeah, the conference. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. Like he was wow. like, man, niggas don't do stuff like this, bro. Like, like he was very, and so wow. he paid. So he paid to get in that conference. Yeah. So and that's what his <laughs> how he wow. And so, which for me. I have an understanding of not what somebody is doing, um, but an understanding of what's happening inside of them. And I could tell that he had PTSD. You could tell um, he was an army vet. So being surrounded by black men was kind of a trigger for him, but it was also very abnormal for him. Mm. And so, because I finally said, I said, brother, um, I get it. I get it. This is very abnormal for you to be surrounded by brothers that don't want anything from you. And he just started bawling. Started bawling. I said, it's okay, bro. I said, we're not here to hurt you. And he came up to the microphone. He was in tears. He was just like, man, bro. This is just weird, man. Like, I ain't used to seeing normally when I'm around a bunch of niggas, bro. I'm normally, like, looking over my shoulder. 
And that's what he's like, I'm knowing. He said, I don't trust being around a bunch of dudes. You know what I'm saying? Forgive me, bro, for being, you know, disturbing. Like, because, you know, he was making, like, shouting out things and stuff. I said, I get it, man. I said, because this is not normal for us. Mm, damn. To assemble together three to 500 men and to open up and have very deep, uh, 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 intricate conversation beyond sports and you're having a conversation about how you feel yeah having a conversation about what you think how you process i said i get it and he was just bawling man and like and so i had the mic and i told his brother i said go over there and hug him the tears came even more and i said that's what it feels like when somebody only want to see you better mm. Mm. And think about it. Not, I know I haven't. I didn't grow up surrounded by men that wanted to see me better. Because normally the OGs was battling with their time had run out. Mm -hmm. All you got to do is look at old athletes talk about the young athletes. If it was me, I would have bust them up for 30. Good brother. Yeah. Yeah. Pour into him right now. It's okay that you had your time. And this is what I want to spend the rest of my life. Like when I see y'all young cats, I'm like, y'all do it. Because no, bro, I remember, I remember this old dude, man, on the court. Like, nigga, put your shirt on, nigga. You know what I'm saying? Because I had abs and you know what I'm saying? Because I was rocked up. It's like, damn, OG. Like, and now I'm the OG in my group. And I see guys come in with, you know, they Henley shirts on and, and muscle up. I said, man, look good, boy. And you will be surprised how that disarm brothers. Immediately. Yeah. Immediately. Mm-hmm. Because in that moment, I'm able to edify you. Yeah. And not look at you because of what I used to be. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure men who are receiving that understand that. Like, I remember when getting into this space, we started to really put ourselves amongst these very powerful, great men. And when they would confirm us and what we were doing, I was like, this kind of felt weird. Like, because I didn't realize how I was feeling good. You know what I mean? And now it's something that we actually look forward to, but I think it's just so many people are unaccustomed to it, whether it's giving or receiving. But when a strong man that you look up to gives you that edification, that confirmation, is nothing better than that. And I think that's even more, especially if you was missing out on that father. Oh yeah, like There's I think it's even have. it's even more triggering. We had yesterday. Shout out to all our initiates and our, our members of our channel, we did a members only uh, gathering mm-hmm. and we had Coach Crump, one of our well-respected mentors, come on here and do a toast for all of us in here. And in that conversation, it was just, all he did was edify us, tell us how proud he was and tell us to stay focused and focus, don't worry about money, focus on our relationship. And our, like all the foundational things that a strong, mature man would tell two young men they had admiration for what they were doing. Absolutely. And in that, it is it is like this feeling that you get where it just puts everything at ease. Man. It's like such a it's oh. like such a feeling of bliss that you can get as as a man, man a state. Bro, let me tell you, it, it it gives you the fuel to keep going. It yeah. does. You don't gotta it, give me no money. You don't you gotta got, give me no just give me that. Because what you're doing is is I never forget telling my mentor, he says, What do you want? I said, I don't want what you have, I need what you know. Because what you know is going to take me to where I'm trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And I'm forever grateful, man, be, for Bishop Jakes because I sat with him for six hours. 
And when he told me, he said, you are the future. You got it. Man, that, and I'm sitting, and he said, he says, I hope this has helped you. I'm like, <laughs> like what? Right. I'm like, Bishop, who gets this time with you? Yeah. And it did something because he was able to speak to me at a level that my father can't. Mm. Because my father's never been where I've been. Mm. And the only way to move up is somebody has to meet you at up. Yeah. And many times people can't speak to us because they're not where we are. So they speak to where we were. And that's why who's in our community is so critical. Yeah. Because if it's not the right person, they'll be speaking to who you were and not who you're becoming. Bishop was speaking to where I was in my present and who I'm becoming because he looked at me and he said, you got it. Mm. And when he said that, that was all you needed. That was all I needed. Because in that moment, in private, it was everything because I understand where my father is. And I understand what he battles with now because I'm sure it's resentment. I'm sure it's guilt because I now have to see my son at a level that I was never able to attain. But how I honor him is I always tell him where I am, you are because you created me. Mm. And this gift that I have, because my father is a preaching machine. Mm. very wise he's a wordsmith when people ask me about my vocabulary like my father was studying the dictionary I study big words and was studying them in a way to where I don't I'm not gonna call somebody name that be plugging big words into spaces that don't fit but, <laughs> but he would but he but these things and the discipline I got it from him yeah so I tell him and and I think that he and he's embraced Bishop mentoring me at this season because he knows that he's not there because what happened is that as you're at the top of the mountain you have to look around and says who's here to pour into me on this level because you can't go back down and be poured into yeah because the once you go up in an air stand you have to find people who will allow you to adjust and coach you through the adjustment process because you're at a different dimension. And when you're at a different dimension, your practices has to be different. Your discipline has to be different. Your conversations have to be different. So therefore your total functionality has to be completely different and your complete regimen has to be deconstructed and reconstructed for where you are going and not where you are. And most men have never had that. Mm. And that's why when I give a brother flowers, when I gave Charlemagne flowers um, at his event last year, and, and, and did that in public because I wanted men to see another man giving a man flowers yeah. and not at his funeral talking about, yeah, man, Todd, man, bro, he was, bro, he was a good dude. You can't hear that. Mm-hmm. Talk to these folks while they're here. And that's why I love the pouring to young men because I, I can count on one hand the, the men that are poured in. I can count all five of them, five men that poured into me. I know them all by name. 
but I, I can remember men who saw something in me and walked past me because it was a reflection of everything that they didn't become. Mm. So I don't give you information that can possibly help you. I withhold it because I'm dealing with my own resentment of not becoming. Mm. That's why we have to be careful who, who who's talking to us. Mm-hmm. And you're right that if that brother doesn't open up in the community and you don't see that he's willing to surrender, meaning when I say surrender, that means let go to be, you know, uh, uh, join in the community. You can't because it becomes cancerous. Yeah. And so once it's cancerous and it begins to spread, now what one guy was doing, now all the guys are like kind of uptight a little bit. Yeah, hey, bro, you know what I'm saying, bro? Let's just, you know, I don't, we ain't got to go deep tonight, man. You know what I mean? And so you see this apprehension. And and now, brothers, where they was kind of leaning in, now you see brothers vacillating and saying, eh. Tensing up. I don't know, Ryan. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Y'all, y'all, y'all on some weirdo. Because I've heard brothers say that. But what if, and this is for the guys who are watching, what if what these two gentlemen was doing was creating a pathway for you to discover everything that you were born to be. Because what y'all are doing is is you're unlocking the pathways. Most brothers are locked up here. So they can't receive anything. Like I tell people, if once you a, a boy that can't receive constructive criticism and coaching from a man is a boy that's never been fathered. Mm. When you've been fathered, you understand correction because you don't get love until you've had correction. God says, I chasing you because what? I love you. And a real father who's correcting, love you. A real mentor who's correcting you, love mm-hmm. you. Every man that I ever talked to that's in prison, every boy I've ever talked to, the first thing they said, man, I knew they didn't care about me, bro. They let me do whatever I wanted to do. Where there's structure, I know there's love. If there's no structure, there's no order, I know these folks don't care nothing about me. <laughs> they let me go and come. Like, I grew up with kids like that. They just, like, they was like 11 years old, coming in the house 9, 10 o'clock. And they knew it. Because we associate with love, with order. And most men have never experienced order, so they don't experience love. And when you have order in your life, you are a loving being. And to them, oh, man, I don't do that love stuff, man. Don't tell me you love me, man. What you on? Man, I give brothers flowers. I text brothers, I love you. And it's not love you, man. No, I love you because I need you to hear. And these are things that I didn't get from my father. I get it now. But I, I broke him in that. I said, Pop, it's okay, man. And I kiss him on his forehead. And I said, Pop, me kissing you on your forehead is me honoring you. Even in all of your discretion, even in everything that I went through, that you took me through, you took my mama through, I still honor you. Because forgiveness is not for you, man. It's for me. Mm-hmm. I refuse to keep holding on to this dis-ease, which becomes a disease that most men are carrying so much bitterness, so much pain. When you look at the crime right now, it's all unprocessed pain. 
when I have not processed my pain, I don't care about your life. I was watching um, First 48 the other day, and this kid, this was here in Atlanta, shot this kid, and my heart wept because he was the first person that really talked about, he says, man, I'm just in a bad place. And I had a lot going on, and I didn't know what to do with my anger, and that's a lot of men. They don't know what to do with their anger. So if I see you doing your thing, who that nigga think he is? That's pain. Mm -hmm. You know, because I don't, you know, nobody believed in me. All of a sudden, you got people like, you know, you, you see another man big up in somebody, man, you, you, like, what that nigga on, man? I don't know about it. Don't, ain't nobody nice like that, bro. Like, it's it's all the discomfort and the dis-ease of what you didn't get. Mm. And it's become this trauma loop in so many cities with young black males. So many young black men, man, are just hurting. And some of them are aware, and most of them are not. For the majority of them, they're not aware. And I'm looking at this kid. I'm like, man, this dude, they gave him life. I said, 17 years old. And I said to myself, if somebody could have just got to him, because what happened when you don't have the tools to manage your issues and manage your pain, as I say, you have one tool in your toolbox. You got a hammer. So everything looks like a nail. So you go around just hammering everything and not understanding that you're limited in your tools. And when you're limited in your tools, you're limited in your managerial skills. So when you go zero to 100, sir, this is you right here. You shot five people. Damn, big doll, I ain't. They, they're not thinking, not processing. And pain will do that. Trauma will do that. And a lot of these men don't realize, man, until you deal with that thing, it's going to continue to deal with you and impact your relationships with men or women. So I appreciate you, Jay, because I'm even even giving a brother his flowers. Like you said, you did very intentionally. I think we all can be a lot better at that and, and being more intentional about, you know, how we show love to each other. Because unfortunately, many of us, my experience included, the place you probably see men most vulnerable and willing to give people their flowers is at funerals. At funerals. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's when it's when all the way to the edge. That's when you'll see a man open now to finally feel like he's free enough to cry. Uh, yep. He's free enough to to tell somebody else he loves them. It gotta be at the point of absolute death. That that's what brings <laughs> brings brothers back together that may have held grudges in their relationships. All the BS, we're willing to end yeah. it at the ultimate sacrifice. Right. Or loss. Right. Yeah. Really. Death. Yeah. But yeah. we don't we don't gotta wait till you know. No, because y'all brothers y'all brothers doing your thing, man. When Lawrence called me, Lawrence said, "Man, he's like, because Lawrence is like, man, you gotta get on there, man." I said, "Good brother, I know, I just gotta get past the school, man." <laughs> but you know, uh, publicly, man, I'm proud of y'all boys, man. I, I love what y'all doing, and and as I told you earlier, I, I love the provocative stance that you guys pushing the envelope. The envelope should be pushed. Uh, you know, we need disruptive, you know, uh, spaces. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we have to move beyond the mundaneness of, of things and and, and 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 be disruptive, you know, in the spaces that challenge the uh, the perspective 
that they say this is it and, and, and from the social construct that this is a man and this is what men do. No, I'm more than just work. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? I buy flowers for myself every week. You know what I mean? So wow. that's my thing. I that's buy dope. flowers. You know, my grandmother got me into flowers and uh, I'm opening up a flower shop next year in Dallas and and I love to put together arrangement. Man, it's, it's, it's uh, therapeutic for me. And I made a decision, man, to not let my funeral be the only place that I receive flowers. And it's been something that brothers are tagging me, man, like, bro, you got me. And I'm like, man, we deserve to have joy mm. and bliss. Like, we deserve that. And not just to be brothers. Joy is not always just busting a nut, my brother. <laughs> Facts. Like, that's what we look at joy like, man, you know, getting <laughs> some. Like, no, there's joy is, there's joy is available in just being. Like, bro, I would literally go to the store, Central Market out in Dallas, and pick my flowers. I have the most peaceful time peeling my leaves, petals off, arranging my flowers, and just really just, you know, setting, you know, the, the atmosphere for that week. And looking at the arrangements and the women, they, you know, know me, they be like, oh, my God, you do some great. And I'll just stand there looking. I said, well, I think we're going to, you know, we're going to go with some daisies and we're going to go with some uh, sunflowers and let's put some baby breathe in there. Matter of fact, let's come back with some moms and, you know, throw a light. And I, I, and I know what I'm doing. And it's and it's therapeutic, like how somebody would know, you know, math It's like I can look at a flower and tell you how long it's going. I mean, it's just but. I love that you guys are breaking the mold of just men just talking about sports, talking about women. You know what I mean? Because it's like now you got everybody, you know, well, you know, I don't know, man. It, it's just, know, it's, I it's, know what you're yeah. going. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. The space, the space really is crazy. Yeah. And we were very intentional about wanting to be able to have this range and being able to show how dynamic we were, mm -hmm. you know, and having those conversations like you did say that would be able to challenge the norms of the yeah. conversations that's in the space and what people might even expect us yeah. to talk about. And in order to do that, we need powerful brothers like yourself man. to yeah. be able to facilitate these conversations. So I absolutely appreciate your presence. Yeah, man. Thank here you, brother. On this platform. Yeah. And at this point, if you got anything coming up, if there's anything that the people need to know, please talk to them because they made it this far in the episode they yeah. look they down yeah. they watched this one twice yeah. <laughs> at least yes yeah so uh I'm, I'm excited man i did a partnership with carnegie hall and um we have our first event october 20th uh, it, uh we will be screaming this conversation uh so uh it's titled healing our culture and i am bringing mental health and hip-hop together uh mm. at carnegie hall so our first guest um so imagine oprah's life class you know what I'm saying? Like a black version of a version of uh, me being black Dr. Field in the space. Oh. And so um, their first um, uh, event is with uh, it's our female version with Scarlett, the rapper and Latoya Luckett. And so um, we're covering grief and the management of grief. And um, it's going to be a Carnegie Hall, man, the first event of this kind. Um, and then Latoya will perform after the event, man. So. Carnegie Hall is so dope. And again, as you guys are disruptive in this space, that's what I wanted to be disruptive in the mental health space. Yeah. Because everybody's not going to go to therapy. But if I can create therapeutic experience, 
maybe just encourage somebody to take their healing journey and whatever that is for them because there's different healing modalities and, and different ways um, to lead people toward healing and, and different apparatuses where somebody can experience healing through watching your episode. Somebody can uh, experience healing through you know, streaming uh, a YouTube series. So there's different ways, and man, and so that's what we're doing. Uh, it's a huge partnership that I'm doing with Carnegie Hall, the first of its kind. So I'm excited about that. Man, I think if it was more therapists that presented themselves at, like like you, I think it'd be a lot more brothers in therapy. Easily. That's facts. Easily. Man. That's definitely so facts, I, man. Yeah, I, I already know you, you got make therapy look yeah, cool. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. <laughs> like, yeah, try to hang out with your therapist. <laughs> like, man, that was a great session. Let's, let's go out and get a beer. You Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Look, I, I appreciate yeah. you guys for staying in and tuning in with us this far in the episode. I ask that you go ahead you like here i got three things for y'all please y'all already know i need you to like it that's gonna help spread and push the message subscribe so we can build a platform help us grow this thing subscribe to it don't just watch it subscribe and comment let us know let us know one thing that you're gonna take from this actual episode and apply it into your personal life i want to hear you guys um your, your stories your perspectives and we want to be a part of your healing journey but y'all already know hardly initiated we are out. <laughs>